Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is episode 422, and we're trying something a little different this time. A few weeks ago, uh, I attended the 2023 U.S. Open. It is by far one of my favorite sporting events of the calendar year, and it is something I have looked forward to each and every year to cover, and I try to do something for Sports with Friends with it. But this is not a tennis podcast. The U.S. Open conducted a mental health forum based on sports. It's called Mental Health and Sport, Why It Matters. They held it in the press conference room of the U.S. Open, of the USTA. It's in Ash Stadium, and it's where a lot of the tennis players go to meet the media. My initial reaction when I saw this was I was mildly interested. However, then I saw who the panelists were. The current U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, four-time Grand Slam champion and former world number one, Naomi Osaka. She has been ranked the world number one in singles by the Women's Tennis Association and the first Asian player to hold the top ranking. With two Australian Open and two U.S. Open titles, both of which I saw in person. And if that's not enough, how about Michael Phelps? Yes, that Michael Phelps. The most decorated Olympian of all time, with a total of 28 medals. He holds the all-time record for Olympic gold medals with 23, Olympic gold medals in individual events with 13. The most decorated Olympian of all time, Michael Phelps. Now, we've had some heavy hitters on this podcast before. This was a thrill, and I got to meet both Michael Phelps and Naomi Osaka at the event. Had I known this whole event was taking place, I would have tried to set up an interview with either one of them. However, I found out about this about a half hour before it happened. I attended the event and was so impressed. I said to some U.S. Open officials, I would love to use this for my podcast. And I want to send a special thank you to Chris over at the U.S. Open Media Relations uh, for helping to facilitate this. This worked out brilliantly. We also have a special treat back here on the podcast. It's the return of the NFL odds with Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at BovadaSportsbook.com. And we have a very special Taylor Swift treat for you. And no, Spotify, I'm not playing Taylor Swift music here on the podcast. But we will hear from Patrick in just a little bit. The moderator of this panel was Dr. Brian Hainline who is a chairman of the board of the USTA. He's also the chief medical officer of the NCAA. Again, nothing but heavy hitters here. The U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, Naomi Osaka, Michael Phelps, here on Sports with Friends. I am going to skip over some of the introductions since we just did the introductions. The first voice you're going to hear is Dr. Hainline. And... I hope that you can imagine, because this is not a video podcast, that you can understand the difference in the voices of Dr. Vivek Murthy, the U.S. Surgeon General, Michael Phelps, and Naomi Osaka. The first voice here is Dr. Hainline. Well, today we're setting another example for society that mental health matters. And I want to begin by talking about the stigma of mental health care seeking in sport, we're often told to just tough it out, to suck it up. Don't let your weaknesses show. And we have two great leaders in sport on stage, Michael and Naomi, and you have spoken out, you have been courageous and said, well, wait a minute, this stigma is not right. 
We need to talk about mental health. We need to talk about mental health care seeking. Naomi, if I can begin with you, what led you to that journey where you were really helping to shape the world to change the stigma of mental health care seeking in sport? Um, honestly, for me, I, it was a little selfish. Like, I, I wasn't really thinking too much about everyone else, if we're being 100% honest. I was just thinking about, like, how I feel and how I would like to express myself. And at the time, I just felt like um, I needed to, like, step back. And I do, like, remember in the back of my head, I was thinking, like, mm. growing up, I was told kind of to tough it out. And I was in my head thinking, like, athletes are supposed to, you know, like, stick it out. And you're actually weak if you show your emotions and things like that. So it, it was like a very big internal battle. Yeah. And, and Michael, I, I think, well, look, being the most decorated Olympian, and, and it was perhaps even shocking when you started talking about the symptoms of maybe feeling detached or, or depressed or, yeah. or lonely. And so, and you shaped the world with, with that. But, but what was that journey like? Well, I mean, I think for me, my mental, mental health journey started probably back in 2004. Um, I think that's really when I experienced post-Olympic depression. Um, I came off this high from an Olympic Games and, you know, kind of got to the edge. And I was like, well, what do you do? Where do we go from here? The Olympics are finished. Um, so the only thing I did was get back into the pool, started training again, stuffed all of those things down, compartmentalized those things. And over time, they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and they just kept showing their face. So I kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And I got to the breaking point in 2014 where... I didn't want to be alive. And for me, I, I decided that, that something had to change. Um, so for me, I had to become vulnerable for the first time in my life. And vulnerable is a very scary word. Scary Change is a scary thing. Um, so for me to become vulnerable for the first time ever um, was a process, a learning process. And that process has given me the chance to now be able to talk about the things that I've gone through and hopefully save a life. Um, that's my number one mission right now is, is trying to help people that are suffering like we have. Um, you know, and I'll just say to you, it, since we're sitting here, how you composed your words and posted them on social. I mean, to me, it sends chills in my body right now thinking about it. Because we don't know how many people we're saving by those messages, but I guarantee you there are people out there that are reading that stuff that you're saving, that you saved. Like, I, I still to this day, like, it, it, it was so moving. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for sharing that. Well, Michael, in the pool and in your training, and yeah, you have your ups and downs, but you're kind of in control. And now you're talking about this moment of vulnerability, and, and, and life is different. And, and Vivek, as a physician, a treating physician, and now really the physician for our country, you see this in, in society. We aren't always in control. Mm -hmm. but. How do we really take that and take a message that mental health care seeking is fine, that we maybe need to show our vulnerabilities and, and ask for help? Yeah, well, I, I'm so glad that we were just having this conversation. To think even 10 years ago about having a discussion like this uh, would have been perhaps improbable. But one of the things that we're coming to terms with is something uh, that as a doctor I used to see in the hospital every day, which is that mental health really is health it's no less important than your physical health. 
And I think of mental health as the fuel that allows you to do everything else in your life, to show up for your family, to show up at work, to show up in your sport, to show up for your community, to be there for yourself. And when our mental health suffers, all of those other dimensions suffer as well. It's like cutting off, uh, again, this vital fuel. If we're not able to talk about that, if we're not able to acknowledge the times when we struggle and to, to talk about how we replenish and support our mental health and well-being, then so that's like going through life with one arm tied behind our back without being able to embrace uh, the fullness of who we are. But it also cuts us off from each other. And what has been happening for too long is that so many people are struggling, but they're struggling in silence. They're not talking about their mental health issues. And so they feel like, hey, I'm the only one who's struggling here. Something must be wrong with me. All those other people, based on what they're posting on social, the way they're talking you know, at parties, the number of parties they're attending, they must be having great lives. And I'm the only one who's out here struggling. But that's just not true. And I had the privilege and opportunity to see that you know, as I talked to patients over the years and realized that, wow, a lot of them are really struggling with their mental health and well-being. So I think the pandemic in particular uh, really pulled the curtain back on a lot of the mental health struggles people were going through. A lot of people came face to face with the depression and anxiety, with the uh, loneliness and isolation that they were uh, dealing with in their lives. And I think this is our opportunity to have a more honest, a more open conversation about, about mental health so that hopefully all of our kids uh, can grow up in a world where they realize that if you struggle with your mental health, it doesn't mean that you're fundamentally flawed, uh, where they also know that if they struggle, that there's help available to them. I just wanted to say, sorry, sure, one yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I always, I, I love saying that now, like, mental and physical health, if we take care of both of them, we can become our own superhero. Mm -hmm. My kids call me Aquaman. So <laughs> I, I guess now I'm trying to be a better Aquaman to work on both sides of that, right? And I think it's just, you know, and then another point you brought, you brought up was, was asking for help. Mm. That was something I, I didn't know how to do. I was afraid to do for a long time because I was afraid of the answer. So for me, when I finally asked for help, it was incredible. Right? Like there were people that were willing to help and there were people that were close to me that were willing to help. Um, and again, that's, that changed and saved my life. And just one a quick reflection on that. There's this notion I think sometimes we have around strength. And we, we sort of define strength in a particular way in society as the person who's not reliant on anyone else, uh, who never expresses any weakness, um, who never has a bad day, and who never has a moment of doubt. And that is just not real. That's just not what people are like, right? But strength, in, in my mind, strength is really about the courage to be real and authentic. It's about the courage to be kind. It's about the courage to reach out to someone else and extend help and support when you see them struggling, even though that might feel a little awkward or you might know if you're, not know if you're welcome. Like, that's what real, real strength is about. And I think as we think about not just a current generation, but as we think about kids who are growing up today, they're learning from our example, from how we're leading our lives. Uh, you know, the three of us have small children uh, at home, mine are five and seven. And somebody once told me when I became a dad, they said, you know, your kids will sometimes listen to what you say, sometimes, but they will more often listen to what you do. And so it's how you, we lead our lives, the example we set around issues like mental health that I think is going to be really powerful in guiding our kids to approach mental health in a healthy way. 
More of this fascinating conversation with Michael Phelps, Naomi Osaka, and this U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy. But it is a thrill here on the podcast to welcome back the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. All right, let's take a look at week four in the NFL. Let's start with the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. That's the Thursday night prime video game. Lions, a, a road favorite against Green Bay? Seth, this is... This is shaping up to be a real good one. We're all still trying to figure out what to make of Jordan Love uh, as a starting QB in this new era for the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, I, I think while we figure that out, I've got to say I'm incredibly impressed with what the Packers did last weekend against the Saints. Uh, they did, you know, a classic analytics move of they were down two touchdowns, but on the first touchdown, they went for a two-point conversion because that puts you in position to win the game at the end if you get a touchdown. Uh, or you can go for two again to try and tie it. Uh, mathematically, it makes sense, but it's... For a lot of risk-averse co uh, coaches out there, it's not too popular. Meanwhile, you have the Lions and Dan Campbell. That running game looks good. The defense looks good uh, in what's otherwise a pretty wide open NFC North. Um, this is probably your 1-1A one teams here. Uh, looking at uh, the current uh, liability, and yeah, you have the Detroit Lions as ever so slight one-point road favorites in this one. And uh, yeah, about 85% of all bets so far at Bavada are on the Lions set. Of all the Sunday games, the one most appealing, what is Tua Tungavailoa going to do at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York? Can the Buffalo Bills put it together and show that they are the class of the AFC East? Or is this Miami's time to really take things center stage? Yeah, Seth, this is certainly one of the marquee games of the week. And uh, I think for Miami, it's going to be their biggest early challenge to see how legitimate are they. You know, they... A great game against the Chargers, although you've kind of got to be concerned about the defense giving up 34 points. Uh, they beat a Patriots team in a close one that, uh, you know, this Patriots team, not too much is expected of them this year. And then they smacked around the Broncos and that Broncos team it just looks entirely hapless. Meanwhile, you look at the Buffalo Bills and really inconsistent performance for them so far. They blew a layup uh, Monday Night Football week one with Aaron Rodgers going down early. Uh, Josh Allen with uh, three interceptions in that game. Still got a little bit too much gunslinger in him to uh, have Buffalo Bills feeling uh, too comfy. Having said all of that though, Seth, the Bills are ever so slight two and a half point home favorites in this one. Uh, and what's not surprising, the Dolphins are taking the vast majority of the bets with roughly 70% of all money line and point spread bets on the Dolphins at Bavada. All right, uh, Bavada is no different from any other sports book. The world is captivated by Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. How quickly did you guys put up odds and what are they about this now celebrity relationship that I don't think is a publicity stunt, but oh my God, it has all the trappings. Seth, this is, uh, oh my gosh, this, this is the silly season of odds making, but uh, you're right. We are certainly not above it here as, uh, you know, as soon as we got confirmation that she was going to be in attendance and, uh, you know, not just in attendance, but in, you know, the family box, you know, she didn't just have any old seat at the game. She was sitting, uh, you know, getting very close with the Kelsey family very, very quick. So it looks like there is legs to this. So as a result, we posted a few specials out there. Uh, Will they announce an engagement in 2023, uh, uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey? Will Travis Kelsey be spotted at a Taylor Swift concert by end of year? And, uh, you know, if they do announce a relationship, Seth, will they also end that it's announced that it's been separated by the end of 2024? So 
we got a few different <laughs> things out there, you know, where we're trying to capitalize on this. Like I said, uh, you know, my wife was more interested in the Taylor Swift stuff than she was in the game herself. So uh, that's a pretty good signifier to us at Bavada that we've got to be posting these kind of odds just to keep people interested in the various ways that you can bet the NFL, even the Swift ones. Love the Taylor Swift reference, or better yet, my kids are going to love the Taylor Swift references in this episode. Now let's rejoin the presentation with Naomi Osaka, Michael Phelps, and the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, on mental health and sports. You know, I heard a theme here about mental and physical health, mental and physical well-being, and, and um, if I'm hearing it correctly, we can't separate them. And, and so uh, if you're training Naomi and your knee is really bothering you and you're limping, you're going to seek out help right away. You're going to say, hey, you know, I, my knee needs to be fixed. Or if you have severe chest pain and you're having trouble breathing, you go to the emergency room. And so it's embedded in us that we seek care for our physical ailments, but not our mental ones. But there you heard something else, I believe, about loneliness. And that what, what does that really mean? And, and so uh, uh, Vivek, you wrote a Surgeon General Advisory on loneliness. You talk about loneliness as something that's physical, like hunger, like being thirsty. Or I'll use another example. Let's say that we're all just uh, walking in a park, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> something happens <laughs> unexpectedly. <laughs> so what happened, I guarantee you, in three one-thousandths of a second, for those of you who weren't asleep and you were all of a sudden caught unawares, <laughs> in three one-thousandths of a second, your pupils dilated, your muscles contracted, your heart started beating more rapidly, and only after all of that did you be consciously aware of the fact that you were afraid. So we have certain core feelings that are so deeply embedded in us for our survival, fear, hunger, thirst. And we like to think as rational human beings that we control that, but we become aware of it. And if we don't address it, if let's say fear isn't addressed because of trauma, that physiological expression stays embedded in us, leads to post-traumatic stress disorder with physical and mental consequences. If hunger is not addressed, it can lead to physical and mental consequences. And loneliness, which we don't think of in that way, but I, I think in a brilliant manner, uh, Vivek, you capture that as something so essential to the human being. We are meant to be social, to be connected with one another, to express our love to one another. So if, if you wouldn't mind explaining a, a little bit, elaborating more on that concept of loneliness, which is a physical and a mental construct, and it kind of ties in with what we've been talking about, already. Sure. Well, thanks, Brian. And this is not an issue I ever thought I would work on in public health, to be honest with you. But I was really educated by people uh, across our country and across the world, you know, as I traveled. And uh, I started to realize that a lot of people were actually struggling with the sense of loneliness and isolation. And the more I dug into it, I realized two things. One is that loneliness is exceedingly common. In the US, one in two adults report measurable levels of loneliness. And the numbers are actually much higher among young people. But the other thing I realized was just how consequential loneliness was. It was far more than a bad feeling. But when we struggle with 
loneliness and isolation that we're actually at increased risk for depression, anxiety, and suicide. But we're also at increased risk for physical illness. Our risk of heart disease goes up. Our risk of dementia goes up by 50% among older adults. Uh, our risk of premature death goes up as well. And so there are biological reasons for this. And it comes back down to uh, the fact that human connection is necessary for survival, that we evolved over thousands of years in interdependent relationships to need one another, which is why it's so ironic now that we have somehow made it seem like a source of weakness if you need other people in your life, if you're not completely you know, self-sufficient. It's just not how, how we developed over time. The reason that this is so important right now is because we have been dealing with a silent epidemic of loneliness, uh, not just in America, but in many countries around the world. Uh, countries like the UK and Australia, Japan and others have taken notice of this, have actually set about uh, to think about national efforts that can be directed at addressing loneliness. Uh, when we issued our advisory recently, we laid out a framework for a national strategy as well uh, to address loneliness and isolation in America. Uh, but the truth is, if we do not address this, we will hurt more than our health. Uh, but we'll also hurt the fundamental underpinnings of society. When societies are more connected, they have lower rates of violence, they're more economically prosperous, they're more resilient in the face of adversity. Uh, but when they are not, when they're disconnected, uh, then they're more easily divided than when there's an adverse event, let's say a pandemic or another threat that comes along. It's harder for people to pull together and support one another. It's easier for them to become polarized. And so for all of these reasons, addressing loneliness, rebuilding social connection in our lives and stitching together the social fabric of society remains in my mind one of the most pressing public health and societal challenges that we're dealing with today. More of Sports with Friends in just a moment, but first we'd like to welcome a new sponsor to the show, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes, and you make a great meal in your home. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50friends. You don't need 50 friends, you just have to use the code 50friends. Use that code for 50% off, plus 15% off the next two months. When it comes to options, there's so many of them. HelloFresh's menu includes 40 recipes and over 100 add-on items to choose from every week. Ever wish you could spend less time planning, shopping, cooking for the family, and more time with them? From easy time-saving breakfasts to family dinners, that's the one I use, the kid-approved lunches and snacks, HelloFresh has what it takes to keep everyone, including you, happy and satisfied. With my crazy schedule, it doesn't leave me with a lot of time to spare. And HelloFresh, you don't spend all day in the kitchen just trying to make something good. They have quick and easy recipes. They have 15-minute meals. It's a little longer than 15 minutes if I let my kid chop onions. Regardless, you get a tasty dinner on the table in less time than it takes to go get takeout or even delivery. In addition to having them sponsor Sports with Friends, I subscribe to HelloFresh. Personally, we prefer the beef and the chicken. And if you go to my social media, I'll take a picture of what I made just last week. This amazing chicken pasta dish. It didn't take too long. HelloFresh.com slash 50friends. And use code 50friends for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. And keep an eye on my social media for videos of the meals I make. Why? Because everybody takes pictures of their food. I wanted to join the club. 
HelloFresh.com slash 50friends. Use code 50friends for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. Now back to the show. I hope this is having a similar impact on you folks for hearing this as I did when I was attending this panel. And the intimate details, especially what you're going to hear now, I don't recall hearing athletes speak publicly the way they do. Again, the first voice is Dr. Brian Hainline, and then you'll hear from Naomi Osaka, Michael Phelps, and Dr. Vivek Murthy. Well, Naomi and Michael, you've been on the world stage, and, and we can look at you, and, and we can potentially do something harmful to you. We can objectify you, that you're this god or goddess, and, and, and you're not human. You don't need this human connection. But, but what do these words mean, this concept that we can be on the world stage and, and feel lonely? We can be in a state of loneliness. Does, does that resonate with you, and, and, and how, do we, how do we come to terms with that? You're a better talker. Okay, okay. Um, you know, when, when I think of loneliness, I, I, I just think of a feeling, right? It's an, and when I think of feelings, I think that we all have those feelings and we all go through these feelings and emotions, right? So if we're going through something, it's just something normal. Um, you know, for me, my loneliness looks like a dark room and it's closing. And I feel alone. And I, I, I felt alone a lot during the pandemic. Um, but through the tools that I've gained through my own mental health journey, I was able to, to get through. Um, and look, me, some of my tools are just talking to people, right? Like whether it's texting a friend, checking in on them, whether it's calling my therapist, whether it's reaching out to a best friend. Like I have a bunch of groups that we just check in on one another because we have to, right? They're my friends, they're my homies. Like these are the people I love the most. Um, and I just want to make sure we're all doing this together, right? Because what is it? It's like one in four people struggle with some kind of mental health. Yeah. How come one in every four people aren't talking about it? Hmm. Exactly. That's for me. That's, that's the one thing I want to change. You know, that's, that's the main reason why I opened up and talked about it. I just said, why not? I don't remember what the question was, but I just said, all right, let's go. I remember a, a, a reporter asked me a question and I just <laughs> unloaded it all. And it felt amazing. I didn't feel lonely anymore. <laughs> oh, no, it's my turn. <laughs> um, uh, well, when I think of loneliness, uh, to be honest, I think of like periods of time. So I think of like when I last felt it. And for me, I actually felt lonely during my pregnancy. Um, just because I felt like I wasn't able to do a lot of things that I was normally able to do. And I think it kind of goes back into like asking for help too for me. Um, I, I learned a lot, like normally I'm thinking like, I'm gonna be an independent woman and I'm not gonna ask anyone for help and stuff like that. And just whenever something happens, just like take it on the chin. But then I, I got to a place where I needed to ask for help and I wanted to like reach out and talk to people. And I think like most of the time for me, like I have a really good, good group of people around me and they want to help, but I just never ask. So I think it was just the process of asking and the process of like, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was pride or something that um, made me not ask for help and made me feel like I was isolated, but I, I'm really happy the people around me just, just wanted me to ask for help. And 
So maybe, so you talk about wanting to be an independent woman, and I, I think we all would like to say, well, yeah, I'm independent. And what's the difference between being an independent woman, being a leader for women in our society, while also being interdependent? And I think that's what you were uh, speaking about, Vivek, that, that the essence of who we are as human beings, we are interdependent, we are social. Can we do both? And that actually maybe allows us to be even more independent. Oh, that was a for me. Sorry. <laughs> for anyone, but... <laughs> um, you know, like, I started thinking about it as, like, a team. Like, for me, you see me as the athlete that plays, you know, the sport. But actually, there's a whole team behind me. And I started thinking about it like that, like... I think as humans, we all care for each other and, like... If anyone asked me for help, I would automatically help them. Like, there wouldn't be anything in my mind. And I just kind of thought about it like that. Like, independence is great, but if I'm able to get to the same goal uh, in, like, a quicker time or, like, you know, in a better way that doesn't affect my mental health as much, I, I think I'm also fine with that. Well, Michael, you... In many ways, I imagine, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, you always had a team. But when you're in that pool, it's you. And with your physical discipline, your mental discipline, your independence. But how do you take this concept of independence? And now you're talking about seeking help, but um, you're also being a world leader and, and encouraging others. To, you're saving lives. So what, what does that mean to you, this independence, interdependence? And um, I mean... Echo exactly what you know. A lot of what Naomi said. Um, there was, it wasn't just me going through everything every single day. Uh, I had a team around me all the time that was um, supporting me, and and that was the reason why I was able to do what I did. Um, you know, I think I learned that I couldn't do it all by myself. As much as I wanted to take on absolutely everything in my power that I could possibly think that I could handle, I can't do it. I found out the hard way I couldn't do it. Um, so again, yeah, me just asking for help, I think was a, just a big eye-opening experience for me. You know, being able to have somebody say yes, they wanted to help me. Again, like I, I felt like I was all alone for so long. And when somebody said that to me, I mean, you just, you like sit, it, it sends you back, right? You just, I, I was so surprised. And, and um, I guess since then it's like, I typically don't shove anything down anymore. I just say whatever it is, and I get it all out in the open. Um, never compartmentalize, never carry that stuff along. Um, because it, again, I, I don't want to do stuff by myself. Um, it gets lonely by yourself, and we're all working towards the same exact goal together. And, and Vivek, you, I've heard you speak before, and, and, and just now your, your experience with patience. Um, as, as, a, as a great clinician, and, and I've had experience with, with patients as, as well. Patients, not necessarily being patient, but taking care of patients, no. Um, but how do we help society, our patients at large in society, understand that it's okay to ask for help? There are different ways of asking for help, including the buddy system that, that you two have talked about so well. But maybe even at another level, there's, there's professional healthcare seeking. But how do you see that and what's the message for all of us here in terms of it's okay to ask for help and sometimes it's okay to ask for professional help? Mm -hmm. Well, one, one good thing is uh, certainly in the United States, in the last couple of years, there have been 
more and more efforts to make help more available. So there's now a crisis line 988. There's three digits that anyone can call or text if they're having a mental health crisis and they can be connected uh, to a trained counselor. Um, there also has been more of an investment in telemedicine, using technology to provide care at a distance, investing in bringing more counselors into schools, more money into training programs for psychiatrists and psychologists. And there needs to be even more done because there, there's been a big gap in providing care. But all of the steps to provide more options for care won't be enough if people don't feel comfortable asking for help. And that's where culture change comes in. You can't you know, legislate or pass some law that says that people should feel comfortable asking for help. That That's about our attitudes and beliefs. And I think that changes, one, when people lead by example. And that's one of the reasons I'm so deeply appreciative of what Naomi and Michael have done in using their own stories and sharing of their own experiences. And that has, I know, reached millions of people. It also, it's not, though, just about um, community leaders like uh, Naomi and Michael. It's also about people in communities themselves, moms and dads, who ch might choose to talk about mental health or get help themselves, that sends a message to their kids. When teachers or when a, a boss at work or a coworker decides that they're gonna seek out help, that sends a message to people around them that, hey, this is okay to do. So reaching out for help and leading by example is powerful. But we also, I think, need to have more conversations in our schools, in our workplaces, about mental health the way we do about any other health topic, right? We might talk about, hey, if you get injured, you know, here at work, you know, call uh, someone in this department, they can help you get first aid, et cetera. We should be thinking about mental health in a similar context, again, treating it just like physical health. And finally, I think from a cultural perspective, I think one thing we can also do is broaden our notion of who can help with mental health, that it's not just psychologists and, and therapists and psychiatrists, but it turns out that each of us has the power to help other people when it comes to our mental health and well-being, uh, regardless of our age, regardless of our training. And we provide that help by showing up for other people, by checking on them, uh, by listening to how they're doing. So many times we'll ask someone, hey, how are you? And we just keep going, right? Yeah. But if we actually pause and listen to how someone is doing, um, you, here's what you do. When you listen to someone honestly, openly, with your full attention, you're telling them that they matter. You're telling them that they're valued and that they're seen. And I always have believed that there are three things we all need, regardless of what country, what culture we come from. As human beings, we all want to be uh, seen and understood for who we are. We all want to know that we matter and we all want to be loved. And you can convey all three things uh, to someone else simply by checking on them and by listening to them, uh, by being there for them during a time of need. So I know sometimes we worry, hey, am I intruding on someone's life? If I'm like asking about how they're doing, am I invading their privacy? But this is a moment, I think, where we need to respectfully take the initiative to check on others because too many people are out there struggling on their own, wishing that somebody would just ask them how they're doing or give them a space to be open. And instead, what society too often tells them is to put on a brave face and to, in their social media posts, in their public conversation and how they present their public image to just make it seem like everything is going great, even though they are struggling inside. I just want to say, I'll, I'll put one thing at the end of that. It's okay not to be okay. Yeah. Remember that. And maybe, you know, we talked about this a little bit this morning. Um, this last, con you're almost talking about a we're all here for each other. Mm -hmm. It's a group system. There's a formal term for that. It's called bystander intervention. Mm -hmm. 
So the bystander effect is, let's say you're walking in Manhattan and you see something horrible happening on the street, you just keep walking. Hmm. Bystander intervention is we learn to be buddies to one another. So if I were involved in that, I would learn, and we all should learn, that let's say Michael is more withdrawn or that he's not showing up to practice or Naomi says something and it concerns me or Vivek is... Um, all of a sudden eating differently in a way that I know is, is, is not right. And, and, and so I think what you're inviting us to do is to use the bystander effect in terms of intervening and say, hey, you know, how's it going, Vivek? Or, you know me, you want to practice today, you know, everything all right. But when I ask you, I'm being present and I'm truly waiting for the answer and you understand that I'm waiting for the answer because you matter. I'm validating you. Or, you know, Michael, you know, where, where have you been lately? And so have you all, exper do you have a buddy system? And can you elaborate on that and, and, uh, and, and its importance? I'll say at the NCAA level, it may be the most important thing we're doing with our 500,000 student athletes. The buddy system, bystander intervention, know how to care for one another because we're here in this as a group activity, as a human activity together. I do. I'll, I'll say I've, you know, I'll bring one person up, Chuck Barkley. I mean, him and I go back and forth randomly the most awkward hours. We just check in on one another. It, it's, it's, he's just always checking in on me. And I, I have a few friends like that. And in moments, I'll be going through some kind of spell, spill, spiral, whatever you want to call it. And bing, one of those phone, like my phone lights up, a text comes through. And I just, I'm, I'm able to relax, right? Because you don't feel alone in that moment. So I, I just think like those things for me are, are, are life changing. Um, you know, just being able to have some kind of open communication, right? That's something for me that was a challenge for a long time. I was really good at compartmentalizing and probably could have won a few more gold medals, but Damn. it's not something to be proud of by that. <laughs> I'm saying in compartmentalization, I could have won more medals there, but um, you know, it's just, it's just getting things out. Right? For me, it's always trying to get things out in the open because the more you're carrying it, the, the, the heavier that backpack gets on your back. Mm. Um, so just open communication. You know, I make the joke, I, I learned to communicate at the age of 30, um, but at least we got there. Um, <laughs> and I'm just trying to do that every single day because if I'm getting it out, somebody's listening, whether it's my wife, whether it's my therapist, whether it's my friend, whether it's a coach, doesn't matter. Somebody's there and somebody is always caring. So. Honestly, like the, the, the two things that I always try to remember is be you, and it's okay to not be okay. Be your authentic self. That's what I try to do every single day. What about the buddy system? Does, is that a concept that makes sense for you, and, and how do you employ it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything that you said. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I'm sorry, I was laughing a little because as an example, you said like, Hey, Naomi, if you said something concerning, but everything I say is a bit concerning, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that would work. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think like for me, definitely like reaching out to my friends. Um, whenever I'm feeling sad, like uh, back when I was traveling for tennis, um, whenever like I have to go overseas and stuff and I'm feeling a bit lonely, I found out that like reaching out to my friends, no matter what hour, they'll pick up because they care for me. And I think that that's something that is really important. And I 
through that, I kind of learned to care for myself a lot too. So. And sometimes we learn that uh, a strength is if we find out how to surround ourselves by people who listen, who care for us and love for us. Um, but Michael, you mentioned something which is going to take this as segue. You get a text message in the middle of the night or sometime and it, and it can help you. And so there's this concept out there of social media. Well, it's a little more than a concept by now, right? Um, but social media is ever present. Naomi and Michael, you have really big social media presences and I, I think you're positively influencing a lot of people with your social media. But it's possible maybe probable that you've gotten some negative social media posts where someone says something hurtful or, or, or even worse. And, 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 and Vivek, in your last Surgeon General Advisory, again, I encourage everyone to read this. It's on social media and youth mental health. And you approach this, again, from a public health perspective. Yes, social media can be a good, but there's a lot we don't know about it. And is it possible, especially in our youth, that they are fundamentally being shaped by social media, which is, on the one hand, they think they're connected to this vast universe. On the other hand, they're not actually developing human connection. So can you share with us, Vivek, this last advisory that you, the most recent advisory on social media, some of your concerns, and then I would like to hear from Michael and Naomi if, if, if these concerns make sense to you as well. Well, sure, Brian. Well, you know, I, uh, and I'm a believer in technology. I spent a number of years building a technology company before I was uh, in government. I use technology a fair amount. And my belief is that whether technology is a tool at the end of the day, whether it, whether it helps or hurts us depends on how it's designed and ultimately on how it's used. And my worry with social media is that what has happened over the last 20 years is that we have put this technology out there. It has been dramatically adopted. Um, and while there have been some positive benefits uh, to some people, I do worry that many people are actually being harmed by it and that it has become an important contributor to the youth mental health crisis that we're seeing in the United States uh, and possibly in other countries as well. And here's what we're seeing in the data, and this is what led me to actually issue this advisory. Actually, I'll tell you the most important thing that led me to issue this advisory were conversations with parents. Everywhere I went uh, in America, the most common question I got from parents was about social media. And they asked me, is this safe for my kids? Is it hurting my kids? That was the number one question by far. And so I put together this advisory to look at the data. And the, some of the points of concern that I had were, number one, that it, it, the data tells us that people who, who were using three hours or more of social media a day, and this is adolescents, face double the risk of anxiety and depression symptoms. And that was particularly concerning because the average amount of use in the US is three and a half hours a day by adolescents. So it's in excess of that. Um, what was also concerning is that nearly half of adolescents were saying that using social media made them feel worse about their body image. And many were also saying, about a third of adolescents, that they were staying up until midnight or later on weeknights uh, using their screens, and a lot of that was social media time, which was taking away from their sleep. And we know that particularly during adolescence, which is a critical time of brain development, that when you're deprived of sleep, that actually increases your risk for poor mental health outcomes. So you put all of this together, and what, was what came out to me were really two things. One is that we did not actually have enough evidence to say from a scientific perspective that social media is 
safe for your kids, the, to the question that parents were asking me. But the second thing is that there was growing evidence that social media use can be harmful uh, to many adolescents. And so this has been my, my point of concern around it. And I think that, you know, look, there is clearly some good that can happen with social media. Good messages, positive messages can get out uh, to the public. It can be used in ways that can sometimes give people a forum for expression and for creativity. But what we have to do is in some ways what we did with, uh, with automobiles 20, 30 years ago. When I was growing up, the rate of motor vehicle fatalities was very high in the United States. Now, we didn't say, you know what, let's just scrap cars and go back to horses and buggies, right? Like, we didn't say that. Um, we also didn't say, you know what, there's nothing we can do. This is just a feature of modern life. Let's just put up with all, the, all of these deaths. We said, you know what, we need to find a way to make this new technology, in this case cars, safer, right? And we put in place safety standards uh, that gave us seat belts and airbags and other features that helped reduce motor vehicle deaths over time. And here, too, I think we actually need a similar approach. Uh, this technology should be designed in an age-appropriate way. It should be designed with the kind of safeguards on it that reduce the likelihood people will be exposed uh, to harmful content, uh, that they will be harassed uh, or bullied or abused online, which is happening to too many people, or that they'll be subject uh, to features uh, that prey uh, on uh, the minds of people and that are addictive in nature and that ultimately lead them to excessive use. Um, which then takes away from sleep, in-person time, time for exercise. So this is a journey that we're on now, and it's an urgent journey because these platforms are widely used, they're widely available, um, but I worry about the amount of harm that's accruing uh, to people. And I also look, at the end of the day, in-person time is really valuable. It's, we have been designed over thousands of years to interact with each other in person. Um, and a lot of what happens online isn't always a reflection of real life. Right? We see people's best days posted online. We see their curated versions uh, of, of the world. But there's no substitute for actually being in person uh, with people. So I think it's important for us to recognize that, uh, to require companies to actually share data uh, that they have on the mental health impacts of their platforms. Because right now, researchers say they can't get full access to that data, which is, to me as a parent is very concerning that information is being hidden uh, from me. Uh, but we need these safety measures, these safety standards in place as well, and we need them to be enforced. So ultimately, in my mind, that is how we take a technology and ensure that it's ultimately helping us and not harming us. Yeah, and your message was loud and clear. Another advisory we should all be reading. Um, Naomi, Michael, just so you know, here at the U.S. Open, along with the rest of the tennis world, we're taking steps to find a way to monitor social media, to put in those safeguards. But, but you're active users, and, and does that resonate with you that it can be potentially harmful? You were starting. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, well, for me, my social media is who I am. Um, you'll see me post quotes that sometimes I just needed to see, and it means I was having a bad day, and that's okay. There are times where I post happy faces, and that's because I'm actually happy. Um, you get the authentic me whenever you're on my site, or everyone, whenever you're on my, my platforms. Um, I have been harassed. Um, I've had people wish things on my kids, on my family. Um, it's, just, it's wrong. It's ridiculous. And, and to your point, like with three young kids coming up, it, it scares me. 
Um, I want them to have the best experiences they, as they can and then also be able to be who they are and not be ashamed of who they are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's good and bad. Um, but, again, I, I always try to use it for good. Um, I always try to use it to, to get my messages across. And then I get off. I don't read comments. I try not to. Um, when I started getting death threats, I just basically turned off my phone. Hmm. So um, just because I, I don't, I don't want to be around it, right? And it's, it makes me feel blah. And then my thoughts start running, and I separate myself. Naomi? Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, can, I don't want to like sound the exact same, but exactly the same. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like somewhere along the line, I definitely got very scared of social media. Like, um, I don't know. I felt like there was too much I didn't know about it. Like, uh, it was, I think, fear of the unknown, which I still am a little worried, you know. Um, but then I think of the times that I do use social media. It's like to cheer people up or like, you know, to show people what I'm up to and to look at Beyonce's outfits or something. <laughs> <laughs> but like, do you, like, if you don't want to post, like, you just don't post, right? Yeah, you know, right. and then I also try not to look at comments. Like, mm -hmm. and it makes me sad because, like, before people knew who I was, like, there's people giving me like positive messages, you know? So it's like a little sad, I feel, to miss out on that. But I think for my mental health, like potentially seeing something really bad, it's not worth it. Um, but yeah. So we have three minutes uh, left. And, and uh, so I, I want to use part of the three minutes for the four of us on stage. We're going to make a pledge together. And that is, I, I really believe this, taking what you wrote in the last advisory on social media and working together, working with everyone in this room to get the message out that we need to understand its impact. And we need to understand we are in an age where we don't know what's happening to our youth. Hmm. We don't have the science or the medical evidence to understand the negative impact. And so we can start working on that just to help get the word out, just as we're getting the word out about mental health. Um, good pledge, right? I love it. <laughs> so also maybe we just have a, a, a final moment to say, well, how do we wrap this up? And I don't even know if we have enough time for all of us to give a final moment. But this morning, Michael, you gave a moment about parenting and um, oh, something yeah. about the, the lion's breath. And yeah. um, so if you could share that with all of us. So as, <laughs> as a, a dad of, I have three boys, seven, five, and three. And, and you know, when, when they kind of get at each other and there's a lot, of, a lot of this, there's a lot of yelling and screaming, they kind of sit down and they take this big, deep breath and then they get to roar as loud as they can possibly roar like a lion. And typically when they do that, their shoulders drop and they're, they're able to say, well, Beckett did this or Boomer did this or I, was, I felt this or I was angry. And, and for me as a dad, you know, for, for so long, I didn't know how to express those things. And now as a seven, five and three year old, they're sitting there doing it right in front of my face. Uh, it's just an incredible thing to watch. And for any new parents, give it a try. Might be really loud though, but just give it a whirl. Well, going back, Vivek, to what you said as a parent, uh, it, don't don't do what I say, um, mm -hmm. but you lead by example, and I think you're leading by example. So, well, look, that's one of the, I think the hardest things, you know, just to be clear about it, is I think 
a lot of times as parents, we know what we want to do, but we may fall short in doing it. And I think part of this broader conversation around mental health is about a cultural shift to give ourselves and others more grace and forgiveness. And to just recognize that we're all trying our best. We're all imperfect at times. We're all going to fall short. Sometimes we're going to say the wrong thing, use the wrong word. Um, but just to recognize that we're all on a journey here and that we need each other's support and help. Uh, you know, I've been, I've struggled many times in my own life with my mental health as a kid, you know, many times as, later on as an adult as well. And as a kid, I never talked about it because I was ashamed, right? I thought, hey, I'm the only one on this journey and something is wrong with me. So there are so many people out there who are feeling that. And, and I think if we just can approach our lives uh, and other people with a little bit more grace and forgiveness, extend the kind of support that they need, recognizing that a lot of people are suffering in silence, I think we can make big steps forward in terms of improving mental health and well-being and shifting the culture to being more open about it as well. Once again, my thanks to the U.S. Open, to Dr. Hainline, to Dr. Vivek Murthy, the U.S. Surgeon General, to all-time greats, Naomi Osaka and Michael Phelps. This was such a unique event, and I'm thrilled to be able to put this on this podcast. It's a little different than we usually do. We've done 421 episodes before this. I figure this one, uh, could we could do a little twist. If you like what you hear, please do me a favor. Just leave us a review. I believe you can leave reviews on Spotify now, definitely on Apple, and uh, definitely five stars if you are so inclined. We'll see you next week with another new episode of Sports with Friends. Thanks so much for joining us. See you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. Oh,